think I may have shared this before, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping those that remember it are too old to remember it and it'll seem new, and those who haven't heard it, it will be new. So, uh, Terry, sorry. Every Friday evening, somewhere down in Florida, Lonely Beach, I want you to get this image. It's out on the eastern seacoast of Florida. The sun's setting. It's kind of balmy and relaxing. And down the beach comes an old man, white-haired, bushy-eyebrowed, slightly bent over. And in one kind of gnarly hand is gripping uh, the handle of a big pail filled with shrimp. And he walks out on a busted pier reddened by the setting sun, this ritual that is repeated each week as long as people could remember. And as the twilight sky begins to move from daytime into night, suddenly these little dots appear on the horizon and just a flock of seagulls comes flying in and gathers around him. And he begins to, out of the bucket for a half hour or so, stand on the pier surrounded by fluttering white seagulls giving a shrimp away until the shrimp are buckets empty and the shrimp are gone but the gulls linger perhaps hoping for a little bit more but occasionally they stay and sit on him just linger there with him and eventually of course his days come to an end and people said that for, for some time afterwards the gulls would still come back to that spot and would circle around at sunset maybe for the food but maybe for something else because in October of 1942, here in the United States, it was reported that um, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker had been lost at sea, one of the famous aces of World War II, and it was horrible news, shook the nation up, still in the middle of, of, uh, of the war. And what people didn't realize was his mission had been to secretly deliver a message of utmost importance to General MacArthur, who was at that time stationed in New Guinea, so he was given a B-17 and a top crew. They packed up the whole plane for one handwritten message. They were, it was so important they were fearful to actually send it over the radio waves. And so they loaded it up with their most trusted ace, gave him the crew, and off they went across the Pacific. Unfortunately, on the way back, an unexpected detour put them somewhere out over the South Pacific, way off course, out of range of their radio, their fuel ran dangerously low, and eventually they had to ditch their plane in the ocean. And the B-17 stayed afloat just long enough for all of the men to get out. And slowly, of course, it sunk beneath the waves, leaving eight men and three rafts in an empty sea, far away from land, far away from even the course they were supposed to be on. They would be in those rafts for over a month fighting water, weather, the scorching sun, sleepless nights recoiling as giant sharks would ram their rafts. The rafts being five feet long, the sharks being up to ten and a half feet long. But most of all, their enemy was not the sun, not the nights and not the sharks, but starvation. Because after eight days, all the rations they, were, they managed to get out of the plane were gone, or they'd been destroyed by the salt water. And in Captain Rickenbacker's own words, he said this. Captain William Cherry, the pilot of the B-17, opened a little service for us that afternoon, reading from a small Bible he had. 
offering a prayer for deliverance, and then we all sang a hymn together. There was a little bit of talk, but it tapered off in the oppressive heat as we sat with our hats pulled down low over our eyes to keep the glare of the sea off us, and eventually we all dozed off. Rickenbacker in his uh, autobiography goes on to say this. He said, suddenly I was startled awake. Something just landed on my head. And I knew exactly what it was. And I opened my eyes and looked at the rest of the men in the boat and they were all staring intently at my head. No one said a word. Everybody knew what that seagull was. It was life or death. If only we could catch it we might live. Well, the rest of the story, as they say, is history. Obviously, he did catch the gull. They ate its raw flesh. They used its intestines for bait. They caught fish. Eventually, the survivors were sustained and were able to be rescued weeks later, all because of one seagull. Curiously, this was one seagull uncharacteristically away from land hundreds and hundreds of miles. And there it was, a little sacrifice. So Captain Eddie Rickenbacker made it back, but he never forgot that seagull. And every Friday evening at sunset on a lonely beach on the eastern coast of Florida, he would see an old man walk up, bushy-eyebrowed, with his bucket filled with shrimp to feed in gratitude the gulls that had saved him so long ago, to remember the one which gave itself without a struggle, he said, like manna in the wilderness, a daily expression of gratitude. So this evening, what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about seagulls, and then we're mostly going to talk about gratitude. I entitled this uh, the, the Overlooked Discipline because, unfortunately, uh, just in talking about the issues of gratitude, the folks that I've talked to seem to think that gratitude is something that just kind of naturally happens and sort of pops out as a result of, of our life in Christ. But with Chris preparing us to move into some teaching on spiritual disciplines, I thought we should probably take a look at this because this is actually an overlooked spiritual discipline. It's not something that happens automatically. As a matter of fact, it in and of itself is a discipline that we can capitalize on and put into practice. You know, it's a funny thing about those spiritual disciplines. They're disciplines. Now, I, I am not a disciplined person. I'm like, uh, let's see how it goes and anything can happen. I live with a disciplined person who like follows the goes. Everything is, yeah. So it's kind of a foreign concept to me, but here's what I know from observation that those who discipline themselves reap the benefits both now and in the future. And the beauty of spiritual habits and disciplines is that we can capitalize on them and they become something embedded in us, don't they? They actually move from being something out here to something in here. And as we make them our habits and they become part of us, they move beyond something we have to even think about in terms of practicing but they become something that becomes part of us. So I would propose to you tonight that we think of the issue of gratitude as a spiritual discipline. And we're going to see why in just a moment. Now, curiously enough, you know, it's, it's funny. The, the whole world of gratitude is really quite a fascinating one. We all know what it is, we think. 
And yet, you would think that the business world has just discovered how important gratitude is. There are actually five or six really good books on the importance of gratitude in the workplace. Matter of fact, one book um, entitled Thanks, The Science of Being Grateful and Why It's Good for You. The whole thesis of the book is there are hallmarks of workplaces that are the most profitable and the most beneficial to work in, and the single characteristic is not collaboration, it's not great leadership, it's not even good pay and all that. You know what it is? It's gratitude. It's a place where people are grateful, both to be there but also towards each other. And the book Thanks goes into all of the subtle nuances of what that means and how you can bring it into your workplace and blah, blah, blah. Curiously enough, it's written by a non-Christian man, and yet all the themes that he talks about are biblical themes. What a surprise. <coughs> there are a whole bunch of other very interesting books. If you'd like to read some, see me afterwards, I'll be happy to tell you what they are. But let's clear up a little confusion here. Is gratitude, I mean, isn't it like a fruit of the Spirit, right? I mean, it's, it's like one of those Galatians 5 things that like pops out when you're walking in the Holy Spirit. It pops, it's, it's there, it's a fruit. True or False. Well, we'd have to find someone that knows what that passage tells us are the fruits of the Spirit. Can anyone tell us? No one's going to... How do you know that? He knows the fruits of the Spirit. Gratitude's not there? It's not there. Because this is not something manufactured by the Holy Spirit in us that becomes fruit. You know what this is? It's a choice. It's something we practice and put into play, and as we practice it, it begins to change us, and then begins to change the environment around us. So it's not a spiritual fruit, it's a spiritual decision. It's a habit. It's a discipline to be cultivated and practiced. Matter of fact, it's, I was talking with the president of, of the organization I work for, and he said um, he's been doing some research over the last year and a half on what the hallmarks of healthy nonprofits are. And he said, amazingly, in all of the data, gratitude is right at the heart of them. It's right in the middle of it all. And he said, and yet, why is it so hard to cultivate gratitude in the workplace? Well, I think there's some interesting answers. Perhaps we will touch on them as we look at some key passages. But there's another outcome. I think that gratitude is a sign of maturity. I think it's one of those things that actually, as we mature, we figure out this is really important. And as we begin to put it into practice, it then becomes part of the health of a person walking in Christ. Now, life in Bowenland has been a pretty bumpy ride in the last year. Kind of wish a light had come on about a year ago that said, fasten your seatbelts. Bumpy air ahead. Didn't happen that way. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, don't most of those little curveballs that come our way, aren't they curveballs unexpected? They catch you by surprise. But, you know, a lot of things have come out of these experiences, and I'd like to say there's lots of wonderful things that we've embraced we're still in the process of figuring out. But one that has bubbled to the surface is what does it mean in the middle of trouble and trial to still be a grateful person, to be filled with gratitude towards God when things appear not to be positive or turned against you? Well, I'd like to touch on that a little bit as we as we look at just some elements of gratitude. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But I have to tell you, the interesting thing is gratitude can exist in any environment. It's amazing that it's not just, it just doesn't happen when things are going good. 
when someone gives you something wonderful and you go, oh, thank you. That's perfect. My brother just sent me socks from the Smithsonian. Not even sure what to do with those. I'm kind of like, well. And then, of course, the tagline was, since you're so hard to shop for, I thought of you when I saw these. And I'm not sure how to fill that blank in, but you know what? It's a person that's thinking of you. And wait a minute, that's something to be grateful for. Someone's, and so you can connect the dots and you can be grateful for even the most unusual things. But you know, here's the beauty is there's gratitude available in poverty, in trouble, in challenge, in suffering, in pain, even in times when things just look like they're going south. There is a place and a climate where gratitude can still thrive. It can still shape us. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced it does shape us. But you know, more than gratitude being important and being a discipline, I think the scriptures are going to tell us that gratitude is actually part of our spiritual walk in Christ. It's part of our faith walk. Listen to this verse from Colossians 2, beginning in verse 6. So then, just as you received, and by the way, the inference is in a previous verse, you received Christ by faith, just as you receive by faith Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and listen to this, overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with gratitude. Now, if we kind of peel that verse apart just a teeny tiny bit, it begs the first question, which is, how did we receive Jesus? Did we work for it? Did we have to like, lay it down? Do we have to make some amazing sacrifice and then we came into a relationship with Jesus? Well, the answer is no. It's by faith. And Paul is saying here to the Colossians, and Rich, you can go on to the next one. Amazingly, boom, just like you've received them, that's how all this rest of the stuff happens. It doesn't happen because you're working hard. It happens because by faith you're putting these things into practice. By faith, you are rooted and being built up in Jesus. Isn't that a great image? You've been placed in him, and now you're rooted in him. This is not about learning more about Jesus, like I just need to read the Bible more, which that's not the, that's a bad thing. But this is the idea that we're so deeply embedded in Christ that his very life is flowing into us. It's the John 17 passage. We are the branch he's just flowing into us. We're grafted into him. And then we're being strengthened in the faith from the teaching that in this case, Paul said, hey, you had this teaching. That is there to strengthen you, but that's also by faith. Because everything that we hear in the teaching, we have to sieve it, we have to weigh it, we have to ask the Lord, what do you have for me in this? But it's by faith that we receive the word and it transforms us. And, And I would contend that the overflowing with gratitude is also by faith. We let gratitude flow out of us even when we don't kind of feel like it. Even when we don't think that person deserves it, or even when the situation doesn't seem to work, or even when I don't really even understand what God is doing here, this seems to be not the plan I had in mind. And yet, Paul is saying, gratitude can overflow, even in that environment. Now, I would tell you this, there is an antithesis to this. The spirit of this age and the world around us, and it's probably true of every age, but certainly it's true in this age and will be definitely true in the last days. Second Tim, Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, he says this, mark this. Pay attention, Timothy, mark this down. 
There will be terrible times in the last days. People will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to even their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, and not lovers of good. Do you notice what the pivot is right in the middle? Ungratefulness. Matter of fact, they won't be grateful at all. They will become cynical and bitter and have nothing to do with expressing gratitude. So while the life of the believer is, it has a hallmark of this gratitude just flowing out of us and running down and running down and splashing on people all around us, the hallmark of the age where people are turning against God is characterized by many things, but one of them is a lack of gratitude. So we have some challenges here. What does it mean to be grateful, and what are the things that cause us to be ungrateful? I'd love to tell you this is like rocket science. This is not rocket science. This is, this is like the basics of stuff, right? We know this here. How do we get it so we know it here? Well, I think there's some challenges to the believers. I mean, let's not talk about folks that are out somewhere and they God is off their radar and they're just living for themselves. Let's not even look at that population. Let's consider the believers. For the believing community, I think there are a number of factors that challenge gratitude in us and want to hold back our hearts from becoming grateful. Here are just a few that I think we find most common. One, I think it's possibly absolutely caught up in sin. We give in to our selfish desires. We give in to the fleshly things that are in us that we know we shouldn't. We get caught up in it. As a matter of fact, there's a wonderful exhortation where Paul says, lay aside every encumbrance that entangles you. It's a great image. It's like your feet are all tangled up and you can't really even move forward because you're tangled. You know, notice he didn't say pray that you would be out of that. He says, you pick it up, lay it aside. You're letting it tangle you. Disentangle yourself. Put it over here. Get out of it. I'm afraid that that there are believers who allow themselves, just like the kind of the child story bear rabbit, just to jump in the briar patch and they get all tangled up. And before you know it, they're so tangled they don't know how to get out. That's where the Holy Spirit can come in in the place of the brothers, the sisters, to help them get untangled and get out. It is hard to be grateful when all you can think about is me. Right? As a matter of fact, when all we can think about is ourselves, you know, that doesn't lead to gratitude. That leads to entitlement. I deserve, I need, I want, and I'm not getting. So why would I be grateful? I'm not getting what I want. Well, I think that many times at the core of that is our own sinfulness that is waylaying us and keeping us away. But there's also bitterness, and you know, uh, we all have these expectations and hopes and dreams, and suddenly into life comes unexpected circumstances and unexpected disappointments and hurts. Wounds, maybe. Wounds that perhaps were caused by people that you were close to, or the pain of loss, or sorrow, and all those things which force us to now turn our focus inward instead of out towards what God is doing. And I think that's true for all of us. I think that when pain comes, we tend to look away from God, look into our situation, 
But the call from the Holy Spirit is to look back at Christ because that's where perspective context is, is provided for us. The unfortunate thing about disappointments and hurts is if left unattended, they find root in us and they turn into some things. And one of the outcomes is they become uh, a little root that develops bitterness and that bitterness then becomes invasive and suddenly it's in all of our lives and we become bitter towards things and instead of seeing God at work, we just see disappointment. We go, ah, meh. And it's hard to be grateful when we're captivated by bitterness. In the book of 1 John, John warns us that there is also the effect of misplaced love and affection. He makes it quite clear that if you love the world, you can't have the love of the Father. Those are mutually exclusive. You cannot passionately love the things of the world and be filled with the love of the Father. I'm afraid mis many times we misplace our love and affection on things of the world and we pay the price for that. You know, it's amazing. In the desires of man, sometimes the wanting is so much more intense than the having. Have, have you noticed that? The wanting and the expectation for something is so exciting and then when you have it, eh? It's not kind of what you thought it was. And you know, that's true for stuff. That's sometimes true for relationships. That's true for a lot of things. The wanting and expectation is far more thrilling than the actual having. And with disappointment, when the having takes place, comes dissatisfaction, disappointment, a sense that I deserved better than this. I should have, this should have been perfect. This should have been great, but it wasn't. And so that misplaced love and affection can lead to, again, not only bitterness, but dissatisfaction. And that dissatisfaction is focused towards God himself. I thought you were going to provide. You let me down. I think the most imp impactful thing that happens to us all, and this particularly happens as we age in the Lord, as we walk with him, is that we begin to forget. We forget all kinds of things. Now, some things we, it's good to forget. And, you know, life goes on and you kind of look back and go, I can't even remember what life was like before Jesus. That's a good thing in many cases. But sometimes that forgetting causes us to begin to think that we're like doing this whole thing on our own. This is really about me. Look at all the cool stuff I'm doing for the church, for people, in the ministry. Look at, all, look, look at this. I'm amazing. God needs me. He deserves me. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses, in his departure treatise to the nation before they traveled into the Promised Land, the whole book is just a wonderful recounting and reminding. In Deuteronomy 6, however, <clears throat> a number of cool things happen, but there's a wonderful section right in the middle where he says this, and when you come into that land with milk and honey, flowing this, with cities you didn't build, with vineyards you didn't plant, with goods that you enjoy but you didn't actually do, be careful that you don't forget the Lord who did all this. Now, you're probably thinking, well, you know, I, I, those guys, they should have known better. You know we do that, right? You know we think we did this cool stuff, that suddenly all this, we made all this happen We've watched Shark Tank enough to know, hey, 
it's about the decision we made and you know, good luck and good, good support. And we begin to forget that actually, no, 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 it's the God of the universe who structures all things and causes all things to happen, who raises up and brings down, who opens and closes, who makes things occur. And we begin to forget that it's God who brought us here. It's God who did these things. It's he who brought us from this place of darkness into the land of light. And you know, there's a pull of the culture happening this whole time that's wanting to pull us into that world which says, hey, you should be cynical and bitter because you know, you're know you probably not getting what you really do deserve and you're working hard and look, you're coming up short. I mean, where is God? That's of course a lie from the evil one and wants us to put our love on these temporary things rather than eternal things. But I gotta tell you, this big one that's tied to this Deuteronomy 6 caution I think is the one that really grabs us most frequently. Ephesians 5, verse 6, Paul writing to the church there, he says these wonderful words. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, in the previous verses, he went through what these things are. Because of these things, these horrible things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For, listen to this, for you were formerly darkness. He's basically saying, that's you over there. Don't forget that what you see that judgment is coming to, that was you. Don't forget that. You were formerly darkness, but now you're the light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. I think that many times we tend to look over there and think, I was never like that. So I must be like this all the time. And we forget that, no, no, we were that. And in most cases, worse than that. And we have a little scale and we put everything in it. We sometimes, the way we run the scale, we look pretty good compared to all the things around us. When in God's scale, it doesn't work that way. We were children of darkness. He came and got us right? And he brought us into the kingdom of light. We didn't do it. We didn't send him a note saying, hey, psst, by the by, I'm good to go. Come and get me. No, no. The scriptures are very clear. While we were yet still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. Not while we were in the good place, in the happy place. No, no. So I think we have to be very, very careful that as time goes on, we don't begin to think this, I'm like God's golden person. Of course he needs me. Of course he redeemed me. I mean, look at this. That's not the plan at all. And actually, sometimes we need a good dose of this is the way you were to remind us. Well, okay, so those are the things that challenge us. What about the stuff that we can do to cultivate gratitude? Because this is a discipline. What are some things we can do, we can put into practice, which actually move us in this direction? First one, remember. Remember. John 3.19. This is the judgment that the light came into the world, and men loved the darkness more than the light because their deeds were evil. You know who those people are that he's talking about? We. We. Love the darkness more than the light because our deeds were evil. And sometimes we need, to, we need to sit and ponder 
we did, we were lovers of ourselves. We were lovers of the darkness. And Jesus came and got a hold of us. And in some cases, drug us kicking and screaming into the light and brought us into his family. And I think that unfortunately, we occasionally forget the gracious forgiveness of Christ towards us. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew 18 when he tells the story of the servant. You know the story. He says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts. He calls a guy to him. He says, hey, you owe me, are you ready for this? 10,000 bags of gold. You owe. And here's the deal. You pay today or you, your family, your children, their children all go to prison until it's all paid up. And it says the servant fell on his knees and begged for mercy and said, I will try to pay back everything if I can. And this master took pity and had mercy on him and canceled the debt. That's us, right? Canceled the debt. But then the servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a mere hundred silver coins and grabbed him and began to choke him and said, hey, you need to pay me back right now and demanded that. The fellow servant fell to his knees and begged for mercy, but the fellow servant refused and instead went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the small debt. And of course, when the servants saw this happen, they went to the master and told him what happened. You know the rest of the story. He calls him in and said, you wicked, wicked servant. Why would you call him wicked? Because he forgot. He forgot the mercy of God. Why weren't you merciful to your fellow servant, just like I was to you? Did you forget so soon? I mean, the time frame is really quite fluid here because the point is it's not about how much time it takes. It's the fact that mercy is timeless. Now, interestingly enough, this story is told in response to Peter asking the question, now, so look, Jesus, when it comes to forgiveness, what what are we talking here? Five, six times, seven tops. Sounds good, right? And then, then Jesus tells the story. And he says, oh, no, 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 seven times 70. In other words, there is no limit. So I think we need to have time where we remember that we were in darkness. We were burdened with this incredible debt we couldn't pay. And God extended amazing mercy to us. The second thing I think we can do is we can ponder. Ponder the things that God has done, is doing, does on a daily basis. What did Jesus say about this when he talked about the Holy Spirit? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how good are the things that God gives to those that he loves? How good? And the answer is, we can't even get our heads around it. It's so good. I had someone say, you know what? That's why I keep a gratitude journal, so I can track stuff. I can like write things down. I look back and go, God is good. I said, so what do, you, what do you put in that? He goes, well, I started with these big things, you know, kind of the big stuff, save the world kind of stuff. He said, but as time went on, suddenly the journal got more and more and more and more narrow until I'm writing down all, all this stuff because I realized there's no end to the mercy and gratitude of God. He said, my journal's full. I'm, it's just, it's incredible. And I think that one of the things we can do is we can meditate on those promises and the nature of God as it's been extended to us. We can meditate on that and go, oh, man, God is so good. But, you know, that takes time. You've got to take some time to think about it. You've got to ponder it. 
got to let it sift and percolate down past just the layers up here, down into the layers of the inner person. The third thing I think we can do is we can look. We can ask God to illuminate the eyes of our hearts and our minds to see things that are happening around us that we need to be grateful for. And to actually see it as it really is. Because, you know, sometimes we see things and we go, oh, that's kind of a fishy situation. And yet it's actually God at work doing something amazing. I, I just had a person today explain to me how God has been working in her life. And she went on and on, like three points, four points, five points. And God has done this and God is doing this. And I'm thinking, oh, that sounds amazingly ordinary to me. But to her, because she saw it as God at work, you know what it was? thrilling. She was so excited to tell me about it. And I was kind of like, eh, okay, sure, what, whatever. And she was just like, no, you don't understand. And God did this thing. And he's like held off on this and this happened. And these pieces came together like that. And I said, okay, good, good. I, she was overflowing with gratitude. And it began to splash on me a little bit. And isn't that what it does? It starts overflowing. So we would, I think it would behoove us to pray and ask God to open our eyes so we can see the things he's doing, and then we can be grateful for them. We can go, wow, that is the Lord at work. And you know, that leads us to the next thing I think we can do, and that is express your thanks. Express your gratitude. Express it. I know you're probably thinking, oh, but what if I turn into one of those people that people think is kind of kooky? And they're always saying stuff like, wow, praise the Lord. Back in the 70s, there was actually a book called that, Praise the Lord. Anybody, anybody remember that? Yeah? This guy, the whole thesis of the book was, you should on a daily basis be saying, God, thank you. You're awesome. And even when weird things happen, go, well, praise the Lord. And, you know, and a lot of people did that. And, and people around them were like, you're, you're, you're kind of wacky. And yet there's something transformative when we express a gratitude to God. It begins to shape and change us in the inner person. There's something about verbalizing it. When it's out and about, listen to what, and I think Cameron actually read this already. This is Ephesians 5. Don't get drunk on wine. But, because that leads to debauchery. But instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to each other with hymns, songs, songs, psalms from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father in all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't those kind of people drive you crazy? Don't they? They, they kind of do. It's like, oh, you can't be that happy. You can't be that thankful. Yes, they can. Because it's a command. Do this thing. We should be expressing our thanks and our gratitude out and about. As a matter of fact, that's why this passage is so wonderful. Don't just say it to yourself inside your body. Sing it to each other. Say it to each other. Say, oh, man, the Lord is so good. Let me just, let me just break into a little rap here for you about this cool thing that God just did. That's what he's saying. Put it out there. Talk about it. Celebrate it. Embrace it. And I love this little section right in here. Really? Be thankful in all things? That, 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 that's a misprint, Right? In most things, or in the good things, or in something. No, 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 no. That's why Romans 8 is so powerful. In all things. 
even the things that are a little painful, even the things that stretch you, even the things that crush you a little bit, even the things that challenge you. Be grateful. Be thankful in all things. You know, the cool thing is, this becomes an exercise that moves us towards this place of true worship. As a matter of fact, I, I just wasn't I just was reveling in the worship this evening as as the words of, of those wonderful songs are kind of washed over. They're just so they just kind of grip hold of us when we let them and they bring us before the Lord. Listen to this passage out of Hebrews. Since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude to God by which we may offer an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Because there is a gratitude. Most of this gratitude is to God. It's just like, whoa, you're amazing. You're awesome. And part of that is verbalizing that. So we need to, one of the things we can do is exercise towards God this inner awareness that God is at work and we are absolutely grateful because even though the world around us is getting shaken up, and it is, we're in a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And we have promises which will be true. And there are outcomes which are absolutely dependable and we put our full confidence in them. That is when, my friends, we will find ourselves filled with a heart of gratitude that overflows and splashes out on people. And we say things that people go, you're kind of one of those crazy Christians, right? Yes, I am. I am so glad to be in Jesus. Well, are you just happy? No, I'm really sad. But I'm just so grateful that God is good. That is when a heart of gratitude will come and fill us. Amen? So I, I, I just want to leave this with you. You know, we have a choice here. We can choose to exercise the things which move us towards being grateful people and having a heart that's so filled with gratitude it just like bubbles out. And we can express those things both in our hearts to God but also outside to him and to each other to encourage and bless each other. So this would be a great time to come and have some worship, right? We can express that gratitude to God. As the worship team is getting ready, I want to remind you that communion, the communion table is open. It is one of the wonderful expressions of gratitude that we come before the, the communion table as believers and we tell the Lord, thank you for this amazing gift of your son Jesus and what he did and what was broken and what was shed for me and for us. I would encourage you to go to the table, take the body that was broken for you, dip it in the cup and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So let's come, let's just wait on the Lord for a moment and then we'll come and worship and then when you're ready, uh, take communion.